0: Welcome back to another episode of A New Normal. Uh, This time around, I'm sat down in person with Nick Badminton here at StartWell in our event space and studio. Uh, Nick, it's a pleasure having you on the show.
1: Always good to be here, Kasim.
0: So Nick, I'd like you to uh, introduce yourself so I don't fumble anything. Uh, Keep it nice and uh, clean or as dirty as you'd like. Uh, Who is Nick Badminton?
1: Okay, who am I? Uh, My name's Nicholas Badminton. I grew up in the UK and I moved to Canada about 12 years ago. And About a year ago, I moved to Toronto. Uh, I'm a futurist. I help companies and uh, governments see out 5, 10, 20 years into the future, try and imagine you know how the world's going to change and asking the big questions around what if we think differently about the world what if we use curiosity what if we engage people in new ways to create incredible futures so that we can shape a vision of where we're headed so that we can make better choices today strategically and we can plan against risks and we can think about really you know the shape of the world and where that's going to go
0: So how did you get into this um, line of work, this kind of perspective, this uh, modality of behavior in a commercial context? How did you become a futurist and make that your job?
1: Yeah, it's kind of an interesting story. So, I mean, at the age of 10, I started programming computers and that was my very first sort of, like delve into a future you know and these were big blocky computers with screens that are about yay big right and uh, i would sit there in my dad's office and use them and i started to get turned on about that in the future And my my father would would buy me books on the future anyway i go through school not very good at school uh, went back to college very good at computers uh, obviously and then from there applied psychology computing artificial intelligence linguistics cognitive psychology thinking about web design. you know, Got onto the internet really early, sort of 92, 93, um, as part of an internet club, as a lot of people back there did. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, and, um, and then sort of spent 25 years working, um, hacking my way through uh, technology projects. I'm a certified technical architect. I don't like to tell people that too much. I don't want to sit in server rooms uh, too much anymore. Uh, and you know building out huge data driven uh, analytic based systems targeting systems behavioral targeting for for marketing and this is pre uh, Cambridge Analytica and definitely less nefarious. Right. So I went from there and and ended up working in advertising in Canada and, and from there, uh, got together with some friends, started organizing some conferences on human-computer interaction, the future of computing, the future of technology and society. Uh, worked with people like Amber Case and Karis O'Connell, uh, produced Future Camp and then From Now as a conference and the product. Uh, um, design thinking sessions, and uh, it sort of grew out of there. And someone called me a futurist about eight years ago. And, and from there, you know, through uh, being being a journalist and writing and doing videos and being asked to speak, I've done about 300 keynotes in the last five years. Wow. I'm signed to a lot of Canadian and, and US agencies. I've traveled the world. I've spoken to hundreds of thousands of people. I do television and radio, and I'm constantly imagining what a future could be by speaking to people like yourself, like other experts, sure. uh, being out in the community, being at places like StartWell and working with companies, to, to really think about you know where we are headed and asking that big question of what if. And I just practice foresight every single day. I, I soak up information, I think about how the world is likely to be, and I work with clients to put it in their context and to work with their teams so they can shift their mindsets from what is to what if. So
0: let's talk about this, uh, because it's something I'm unclear about. I kind of have the basic concepts about this, but every time I'm explained it by someone in the field, uh, it's always different. So trends versus futurism. Yeah. Is it uh, a difference, or is the unique uh, aspect of futurism looking forward uh, about ignoring the past, or is it about ignoring trends leading up to a point? How do you decipher the difference between I guess, uh, historical context yeah. and the context of now to look to the future.
1: I mean, this is, this is a tableau. This is, this, is, this is something that we lay out in front of us. Uh, looking at historical context is incredibly important. And by historical context, I'm talking about going back thousands of years and thinking about how humanity has progressed to today. Okay. It's looking at today and looking at the near past on the trends that have showed us you know likely directions and then it's looking at what's happening today and realizing that you know the next you know couple of years two to three years is likely going to change in certain aspects i mean during the pandemic we're seeing everything around biomedical technology online connection the future of work uh, and 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 you know transportation you know tourism all of these things are, are being questioned but really we're trying to imagine two years by looking at what's happening today, a little bit of historical context. But beyond that, sort of 5, 10, 20 years, we start to look for weak signals, the things that are showing us that there's the beginning of change happening. And that might be political change, it might be human behavioural change, it might be technological change, it might be population movements, it might be the way that um, certain trends are moving in terms of you know, wildlife or, or you know, urban growth. And we take them and we can extrapolate out 5, 10, 20 years into the future. And it becomes incredibly creative at that point. And it's creative because we truly don't know what the future is. And in fact, we have to be plural about what the future can be. Mm. Because your future is different to mine. And everyone that's watching this video, their futures are different to both of our futures. Everyone can define their own futures, that plurality, inclusion, understanding that, you know, We're not building a future for people like you or people like me, we're building it for everyone. It's a really important context to consider. So the work of futurism is a lot of creativity, a lot of inclusion, a lot of pluralism, plus also really trying to tell fantastical stories about what the future can be. And you might look at a utopian future, you might look at a dystopian future. I've just written a chapter called Start Start With Dystopia for a book that's coming out next year on, on Bloomsbury in the UK. And it's really, is it your
0: book or is it, it an anthology? I've
1: written a chapter okay. and a, a, there's a bunch of different futurists that, that have written a chapter um, within that book. Oh. Uh, so, so really I've sort of tried to imagine the worst case scenario and you work back to try and work out what we need to do today to stop it. Hmm. You, can, you can start to think about your perfect future and then you can try and work out what we need to put into place today to start making those actions. So companies are starting to realise that this is incredibly valuable. Companies that employ foresight are generally more profitable. Uh, The employees are happier and they've got more direction than companies that are stuck in the past. One example, fossil fuel companies Mm -hmm. are stuck in the past. It's always going to be this way uh, and it's always been this way. So, keep pouring money in. People are still going to drive cars. People are still going to fly. People are still going to ship uh, you know, containers around the world using diesel, using jet fuel, using whatever. Yeah. But that's not how the wor- world progresses. We're locked into that industrial complex. We're breaking that industrial complex and we're saying, what does the future look like? What does humanitarian uh, efforts in the future look like. How do we put humans and society uh, and equity at the center of everything, divide the wealth, make countries more accessible and collaborative, how we can change the very structure of, of banal politics that are less progressive and amplify the politics that are maybe slightly more libertarian and, and that serve the, the humanitarian good in the world so that no one is left behind. Right. And that everyone is considered so we're kind of activists as futurists and I've said this, this like said this a lot so we're activists we stand on stage and there's a lot of people that don't agree with what we say and there's some that do uh, but when we sit down with you know the boards of directors the CEOs the chair, chair people of companies mm. and we say imagine a future it's well worked out it's researched we've considered historical context we've considered their company but we've also considered that Everything that they are today isn't necessarily everything that they're going to be in the future. So uh, you've said a couple things
0: that are interesting uh, or used nomenclature that I found interesting. Uh, We, uh, and that's the first one that I'd like to explore a little bit. Tell me about the community of futurism. Um, Is there a community? Is it something that uh, has, uh, let's say, you know, faculties at universities around the world? dedicated to teaching practice and and methodologies for or is this something that's uh, a kind of a practice that's emerging with uh, thought leaders uh, in isolation working uh, their own paths
1: so it's a bit it's a bit of everything I mean there's one thing that that's true about the future is that every single person in the world thinks about the future yeah whether they're looking at tomorrow next week next year thinks
0: about it or worries about it
1: Either. Either is scared about it, is optimistic yeah. about it, has, has got a positive outlook. Everyone thinks about the future. So everyone in the world can be a futurist. Now, that's not necessarily a strong answer to your question. Yeah, The people that choose it as a discipline sure. can come from... any any walk of life, but they start to put the work in to understand what they're seeing around them, what we call signals of change, Mm -hmm. how they're likely to change in their own personal context, and when they apply it to other people's contexts, that's the beginning of a practice of foresight. Of course. Then you can really apply, there's a lot of uh, really good uh, educational establishments that that do train people, like in Houston, still down in... uh, down in South Africa we've got Stellenbosch
0: University yeah yeah, absolutely. I I've, Stellenbosch.
1: Got, yeah I've got a friend doing a PhD uh, in, in in foresight at uh, Stellenbosch and uh, actually it's coming out on my podcast this, this next week and then we, we've got people like OCAD here and there's lots more universities that are going to start um, having foresight programs pop up so you can actually go and you can learn the methods you know and it's like strategic principles, foresight principles, how you apply them to business, how you can use speculative fiction and art and in new ways it's a very exciting discipline and and you know it, it, it's about you know thinking outside the box and really breaking the chains of normal thinking about what, what we've been told to expect right and to really challenge that so, so I think that that's fantastic and there are people that come out of that. The, the, with qualifications that then practice foresight. There's actually a, a huge global community and I'm plugged into a lot of people there. But there's also the people that have been strategists for a number of years. So I practice strategy for 20 plus years. I come from a background where I was already working with a lot of road mapping and futures, three to five years typically with, it, with, with, with my clients for, for over 20 years. And when it came to the point of looking even further, it seemed like a natural extension to me. And now I apply a lot of foresight techniques and the techniques that I've used before, which were, which were the precursors to a lot of foresight techniques that are used today and are very popular. And I apply them and I look out a little further, but then I wrap it in storytelling. And I speak on stage a right. lot, and that storytelling, that performance is incredibly important. I try and be cinematic, I use video, there's a lot of people speculating about the future, there's a lot of technology today that's, that's you know, you have a lot of awe and wonder about because, you know, robots doing parkour or <laughs> or, or, or sensors and data and what that can do, um, what we can do with augmented reality, gamification, you know, the, the kind of twisted world of social media, of whatever. You can take all of these perspectives and you can weave it into a story. And sometimes it may not be everyone's you know, particular cup of tea. Sure. But that's because everyone's got different futures, right? Yeah. So the discipline of futurism is exploding right now. I think you're going to see every company, every advertising agency, uh, media company are going to have their own sort of resident futurists.
0: I think the growing uncertainty uh, in the world and in, in the, uh, the world's economy based on uh, let's call it economic principles that people have taken for granted. Um, you know, the, the the questioning of those fundamentals, and you mentioned the uh, petroleum industry and uh, you know its economics changing so drastically up and down in the last few months, yeah. no doubt will drive a lot of that want for uh, perception that people don't have from simply going about the business assuming status quo for the last couple of decades. That's right. um, So I'd like to bring up the topic of this current context, which is the uh, pandemic and economic responses um, and talk a little bit more personally about your practice. So you mentioned a big part of what you do is getting up on stage. How has that been impacted in the last couple months of not being able to speak live to audiences in person? Um, What kind of engagements as a uh, a consultant and as a speaker um, are you looking at doing and are you uh, more finding yourself Uh, connecting with audiences online
1: so I I returned from doing the last keynote that I did and it was in Ottawa and uh, that was at the beginning of March and within two weeks all of my speaking that was planned for the year already was gone Hmm. until 2021 that's fine we'll get around to it a lot of those clients are committed I work with them it's great the following week after wondering what's going on, I started working with some existing clients on consultancy, on foresight, being able to look out the next 18 to 24 months hmm. rather than 3, 5, 10, 20 years so that they could start to get the benefit of applying foresight in their businesses. Um, some of these clients were global. Some of these clients were just in Canada or just in the U.S. And, and what I'm doing now is, is pure consultancy, and it's my old world. So I've got a practice around consultancy, it's still research-based. I still write presentations and reports, but the presentation of them is different, the content flow is, is it, it's a lot more dense, there's a lot more reference points, it's, a, it's, it's something that you read sure. rather yeah. than listen to. So it, it, it's just changed. So my business has, has suddenly gone from speaking 80% of my time, consulting 10% of my time and 10% media, to probably 25% media, mm. To, to consultancy for 65% of the time. And I'm still doing some, some remote keynotes and some remote workshops. They're particularly tough. They're, it's a very different format, um, but you're getting huge engagement. I, did, I moderated a panel with Anheuser-Busch and Canopy Growth, a doctor from the University of Toronto two weeks ago, and we had like 700 plus people. There that many people? Online. I, I
0: joined for a bit. Yeah. I actually saw some. Talking
1: like- about wellness. You know, as I said at the beginning, you know, here we are in a pandemic talking about wellness with a company that sells beer, a company that sells cannabis and a doctor, you know, like all bets are off. Right, right. So you can have fun with it. It, it, it It's very draining to to work online. Um, You still have to do the research behind it. Uh, So, you know, that's what's happening with me right now. I, I just had a phone call today. Can you fly to X location? I won't say where. Yeah because we want you to run a workshop in person with 50 people at this conference in this particular province in Canada. And I said, in September, I don't think I'm gonna be doing that. I said, maybe October, November, once we, 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 we see the lay of the land. That's only three months away or so, right? So we got to see the lay of the land. We're gonna let this blow itself out in a way. Right. We have to see the government really work out you know, better controls and, and really uh, getting more proactive ways to keep people like you and I safe, especially when we've got families, right?
0: Well, it's interesting because you mentioned the um, having to kind of collapse the time frame on your practice from long windows of 10 to 15 years out, right. coming back down to a few months. And I'm sure the demand is what's happening tomorrow, what's happening yes. next week, because no one knows. And everyone's trying to figure it out together in their own way. Um, so that's an example of this kind of scramble to uh, find answers but yeah, in unrealistic time frames or unsafe time
1: frames, perhaps. Yeah. And I'm never really 100% correct about the future. Like No one is. Like, I can't predict the future. In right. fact, at the beginning of my practice, I used to talk about predictions, and sometimes I still do, because they're sort of, you know, they provoke the, conversation and yeah. argument and, and critique and, it, it, and, and being creative, and it's, a, it's, a, it's really good. So that's a tool to use the word prediction sure. in, in a futurist. Uh, context. Now, what I do is, is talk about levels of certainty, and and maybes, and likelihoods. And uh, you know, most recently, what's been happening down in the states and, and, and the very important protests that are happening down there. Uh, you know, this you could see this as, as a powder keg that was being stoked mm-hmm. over the last two to three months. If you actually looked under the cover of how how you know certain libertarian websites were being funded um gun, you know the amount of guns that were being sold in the US uh the, the, the amount of uh you know pressure that people were under to to, to be lock, locked down for so long right um the the existing inequality within the united states and, and other places like canada as well you know, this, you can see these things. When you really get into a foresight practice and you constantly soak up information, you get this element of natural foresight, I think. And that natural foresight is, when you start to look at certain scenarios, is, you know, what, what are some of the things that are gonna um, be impactful in, in the pandemic world? Right. You know, this isn't this isn't, it's a big pause. You know, let's take some time out, let's rebrand, let's rebuild a website. Let's think about the future of work. No, no, no. It's about poverty and equality. It's about racism. And and it's about organized crime, unrest, um, bad politics, uh, poor unpreparedness, the failure of the industrial complex. It's a very serious thing. You know, I don't have clients right now that want to talk about incredible futures with artificial intelligence and robots and drones. I want people that want to talk about likelihood of these potential catastrophic events on top of what's already a catastrophic event of the pandemic, COVID-19, and how that's going to accelerate right. and blow up into bigger you know, fracas and problems and how that's going to affect the, the safety of their employees and also their business as a whole.
0: Sure. Change. Massive change um, and evolutionary steps in aspects of society.
1: Yeah. Change, this is what I say. Change is inevitable. It's incredibly inconvenient. And you either change or change happens to you. And that's a really important thing to, to consider. At any point in time, you have to be willing to stop what you're doing and to change direction or to realize that suddenly you know, four-fifths of your business is gone for the rest of the year and that you have to work out your way forward. Or you know, you've, you've got someone that's gone out of business, but what do those good people do next? Or how, how do governments respond in certain ways? How do we make you know, transparency a mantra when it comes to data? That's one of the biggest failings of, of this pandemic, I think, is, is transparency. And mostly because people can't work out what's going to happen next with any level of certainty. But they're also not putting it in a, in a context more than, here's the cumulative number of cases globally. Here's the cumulative number of deaths. Cumulative totals are kind of historical and not <clears> useful for today. Well, I think this
0: is, yeah, There, there's something in that about the want to articulate um, truths through data in mass media yep. and how politicians globally, and, you know, politicians are used loosely. It's not just government officials. Sure. Uh, it could be anyone representing institutions who has... Um, I guess a mandate in uh, presenting certain type of information to the public. I've definitely seen that there's this like race towards data, no matter how scientific that data is. Mm. uh, And it's totally shifted uh, the public opinion and the debate around what is actually happening and has confused things further. Um, So for sure, transparency under all of this about motives, about the nature of the data, about the nuances of how it was collected. Uh, and all of this stuff is definitely lacking in this whole uh, experience of the pandemic.
1: When you don't know the truth of today, you you, you can't even begin to think about what's gonna happen tomorrow. We saw this at the beginning of the pandemic. Let's go out and buy toilet roll. Let's overbuy food. Let's panic because do you know what? The advice of washing your hands and staying at home seemed ineffectual. Buying enough toilet roll for four months (laughs) buying enough food for six months. People wanted to react to, uh, I think, own their destiny through some sense of, yeah, control. It's all about control. Right. How do you control your own life? A virus is out there ripping through a population. We've got no control. Okay. Inconvenient control is wearing a face mask, mask, washing your hands, staying at home, which we all did, right? And certainly to begin with. Yeah. But what else can we do to control? In America, let's go out and buy some guns. Because do you know what? I've bought all this food and all this toilet paper, and people are going to come take them. We've got to protect our toilet paper. We've got to protect our toilet paper. <laughs> but this is it. But this is what happens, in, in the human nature is to control. I mean, very basically, in you know, early civilization, control was having a roof over your head and a fire fire pit in right. your place. right and food in your belly. That was, that was your complete world and, and universe of control. And now we've got complicated jobs and transportation, we own vehicles, we've got family members all over the world. And you have this virus ripping through society and our happy sedentary life of consumerism is threatened. So what do we do? More consumerism. it's a crazy world it's an interesting world right it
0: is it is it's a fascinating world and i think futurism is this angle on social science that's so pertinent to this like massively technological society these days so i think it's it's brilliant to have you on campus and to be able to engage you in these dialogues yeah And, and we should definitely do more sessions like this um and for any of our listeners and our uh viewing audience who uh, enjoyed this talk, you'll want to look back uh, through StartWell's website um, and Nick's YouTube uh, to see some of his talks, but also uh, a series called Dark Futures. Um, For anyone, I guess, who catches that content, just maybe in a nutshell explain why those videos exist, why we had that wonderful event here, and um, yeah, Yeah. what was Dark Futures? And I think that could be a good end note if there's anything else you want to
1: add. Dark Futures. So um, six years ago, myself and three friends were on a patio in Vancouver. It was the summer. And we're having beers. And uh, three or four of my friends, uh, we, we're, sort of, we're into the curiosity of the world. Uh, we're into the strange things that happen. So one of my friends was talking about sharks off the coast of Thailand chewing the internet cables mm. and causing disruption. You also see that and it's like, oh, yeah, like, you know, you've got Greenland trawling up like Iceland's internet cables and cutting off the entire country. And then someone else adds something else. Then someone else starts talking about, you know, how data betrays us. The width of our shoulders can determine whether we're trustworthy or not, whether we're liars or not, whether we're going to cheat on partners huh, or not.
0: Yeah. Straighten my back there. E-
1: exactly. <laughs> anyway, so I, I said, you know what, I want to do an event Will you three people come and speak with me and they were really, really close friends of mine and they're like, sure. So I did Dark Futures. The first event was uh, supported by Microsoft, which is amazing, and 50 people in a room. Those videos exist on Dark Futures on on YouTube and uh, we went from there Um, and it it was held in Vancouver for four years in a row and uh, the next year it sold out with no promotion. The following year it sold out with no promotion in 24 hours. And it's generally a 24 hour ticket sale right. timeline. I'm not, not quite at rockstar minutes level yet, but we're getting there. But last year, it was really interesting. I took it to uh, San Francisco, Vancouver, and hosted it for the first time, well, second time here in Toronto. And uh, I worked with a great friend of mine, uh, Dre LeBray, uh, the previous year in, in 2018 to do Dark Futures here. Uh, in twenty nineteen at Start World Dark Futures. Some people call it the Black Mirror of Ted Talks. Mm-hmm. Um, it's people that talk about the hidden systems in the world. Fifteen minutes, no Q and A, earth shattering, belief shattering insights that can, you know, make feel people make people feel incredibly uncomfortable. And that's what Dark Futures is. It's just that, that, that relief from the optimistic, optimistic and positive futures that I build for clients. So once a year, I, I, you know, I take that, those, those happy, optimistic clothes off and, and I put on the Dark Shroud and lead people into the world of the Dark Futures.
0: Wonderful. Well, it was a pleasure to host that event uh, and I've been re-watching some of those videos and there, there's always so much insight in those talks uh, to, uh, to be inspired by and uh, for future stuff or uh, for any, I guess where would you recommend people who may be listening or watching to this yeah. uh, stay in touch with you?
1: Yeah, so uh, NicholasBadminton.com. If you type, type my name into the It'll internet, be on the screen if yeah, you're watching. Yeah. Uh, NicholasBadminton.com, Nicholas Futurist on uh, Twitter. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on YouTube if you look, look up my name. I've got hundreds of videos there. I I really got into video in a big way a couple of years ago. Everything from vlogs and keynotes, uh, radio interviews, TV interviews. I've been doing a lot, I've been busy. And especially during this time of the pandemic. And uh, you know, it's a a fun and exciting world. And uh, right now I'm finding those moments of you know, booking a new client or having a new conversation to be as exciting as they were five or six years ago, to be honest, I was getting pretty tired of, of traveling and speaking. Still love speaking to clients. But now, everything's stopped. It's a, it's a brave new future. And we can step forward. And the work that I'm going to do with clients going forward is it's going to be so much more important because I'm helping them work out. Where is Canada gonna be by 2030? Where's the world gonna be? How do, we, how do we start to deal with climate change and the resilient future that we have to create because the world's not gonna get cooler? How do we look to new frontiers of energy? How do we look to new ways of, of transportation, urban living? How, how, do, how do we bridge that gap between the ultra wealthy and the people that are on poverty lines, right? And uh, now that, now this foresight work is more essential than ever before. Anyone that really wants to step up and start thinking about applying foresight in their business, they can reach out and I can point them towards resources. I can work with people's companies and I'm going to be doing it here at StartWell. So that's great.
0: Absolutely. Well, it was a pleasure catching up with you. Um, I look forward to engaging our community with you more uh, and uh, some of the tools that you've developed for your practice, I'd love to uh, introduce to our member companies as well in the yep. coming months. We'll do it. Excellent. Thanks for joining me.
1: Thanks very much.